welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history taken from the definitive AEW match guide as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice. Make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex podcast network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a writer for Voices of Wrestling and host of Wild Thing, an upcoming podcast diving into the career of John Moxley. It's Joey O'Doherty, and we are looking at Chris Jericho versus John Moxley's AEW World Championship match at Revolution 2020. How are you going today, Joey? Good uh, Good evening, I suppose, is the best way to put this, and good morning for myself. Good. I'm yes. feeling really good, Sam. Thank you so Excellent. much for having me on. No problem. I'm really excited to to get into this, and I'm also, you know, the 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 folks out there who listen to this podcast will know I'm chomping at the bit to hear your podcast, and I, I'm very excited to be on it myself uh, at some point down the line as well. I'm really excited to to get stuck into that, and we're very on brand today, um, looking at John Moxley versus Chris Jericho uh, from Revolution 2020. But before we get into John Moxley, before we get into Chris Jericho and that match, uh, my first question to everyone is. How did you get into AEW, Joey? Well, it came during the pandemic. I hadn't watched too much of AEW. I was kind of out of love with wrestling and out of boredom. I was like, ah, I'll stick one of these on. And before you know it, I was like, hey, I like this. This, this. this is kind of the pro wrestling that I kind of was looking for in WWE. But so I said, I stopped everything, went back to the start and caught up over the pandemic. And here we are now, fully fledged back into the world of professional wrestling. Excellent. Was there like a performer or a match or like a series or a story or something that stuck out that it really sort of captured your imagination and, and really got its hook sunk into you? Funny enough, it was the pay-per-view that, of the match that we're actually looking at here. It was the books versus Omega and Hangman. It was it was just the perfect tag match. It was it drew me back in. I really thought it was out, and this literally just pulled me straight back in. It was fantastic, and I was like, Joe, you know I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to rewind. I want to get up to speed on this. I want to see the whole thing. I want to see the shows. I want to see the builds. I want to see all the matches. Here we are. Well, you picked a good time to, to be able to go back and actually watch it, because if someone was jumping in at this point, try to watch everything that AEW has done would be quite quite the effort. But, you know, for you, that would have been, you know, a couple of months, but you know when the pandemic happened everyone's just got stacks of time so a good time i guess for for you to jump in there that's interesting you're you're one of the first people on actually that that wasn't into it from the start uh so i'm i'm interested in like what your perspective of all these performers and and that uh and and how that flashes out particularly given that this was at the the first pay-per-view that you watched so so let's get stuck into the match and as we always do here on the podcast we're going to give the match its flowers dave Meltzer gave it 3.75 hmm, not so sure about that one day <laughs> the, the tough markers at cage match gave it 7.31 and uh and the aw match guide when we ranked that back in 2021 this match came in 30th on that so a match that's held in good regard uh and but no, if not in the highest of regard uh and and in the highest echelon of matches that's happened in aew i'm hoping we can uh sort of 
change some people's perspective on this one because I think everyone will agree um, we're going to get into the build, a very strong build, but I think it's still a very strong match and particularly more than uh, what I guess those ratings that we I just read out suggest and also particularly I think I, I think it should be higher than what uh, it was ranked on the match guide, just my personal opinion. Well, my own pair's opinion is like the build was absolutely excellent. The build was four months. It was obviously fans are conditioned to short builds with WWE. Two weeks, four weeks, maybe occasionally five weeks. Whoa. But four months, I think it was just about three and a half months. Fantastically long. I prefer a much more long, structured, satisfying build. And this is this is the perfect sort of lead up to the yep. biggest pay-per-view to date. Yeah, excellent. And let's let's get stuck into it because uh, these two have a lot of history in the WWE. Uh, I'm just curious, have you do you know much about their history in the in the WWE? Did you catch up on it? Did you watch it at the time? Do you know anything about what they did previously? Well, I'm a big Jericho fan first and foremost, and yes, I watched their feud in WWE live, and I actually rewatched them for this particular podcast just to see, you know, the contrast between the matches and how they were structured. He had a really good mm-hmm. match at Payback. Well, when I say really good, it was about three, three half maybe three and a half. At the end of the day, there was the next match was the Ambrose Asylum, which really, come on, it really shit the bed, really. And <laughs> the only way was up. The only way was up. Yeah, it's interesting how. Uh, that was the end point for them in WWE. They sort of did cross paths briefly in that Survivor Series match that, that happened later in the year in 2016. But then, of course, Jericho left. Uh, and then the time when these two first cross paths uh, is at the end of Double or Nothing 2019, um, when John Moxley, of course, walks through the crowd. The crowd just absolutely explodes. The roof comes off the place as Jericho is cutting this promo, asking for a thank you. Uh, Moxley jumps the barrier, gets in the ring. Jericho looks at him, kind of asks him, you know, like, what are you doing here? I think he actually says, what are you doing here? Before Moxley hits him with the double-arm DDT, the Dirty Deed, which was his WWE finisher. Uh, I've already covered this on, like, the Omega and Mox podcast with some people who are actually in the building when that crazy moment happened. So obviously you weren't watching AEW at the time when this happened, but how did it? How did it, how did you react when you found out that Moxley uh, had had debuted opposite Jericho in the main event of the thing? Um, just when you saw that in the wrestling news. Oh, it was obviously a big fantastic moment. I was delighted for Moxley. He'd obviously been liberated, and watching him as obviously I look back on this pay per view, the crowd went nuts for this guy. He was over. The crowd loved it. They were looking for a twist at the end of this show, and they, boy, God, they got it. Yeah, that week is like one of my most favorite and most treasured moments as a wrestling fan to have that hit. It was that hit on a Sunday for me, obviously in Australia, um, we're a bit ahead of America. So on a Sunday, that hit, then midweek, the podcast with Jericho talked about and everyone was talking about Moxley. And then on the next weekend, he had a match against Juice Robinson in, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And what, it was what a match incredible. that was. Oh, yeah, like that week as a as a long-term mox fan as a guy who wrote a column saying the wwe longer no longer deserves dean ambrose uh and how i was but how i was really gutted that he was leaving and i thought that he was leaving wrestling for good and that like my favorite wrestler was gone to see like him just rocket back into center stage like that so emphatically it's incredible. I, I, you know, we can't go in too much into it because we'll be here, you'll be here listening to me rant about this all night. But yeah, look, that that moment in time is just something that I will always remember as a fan and treasure. 
Of course, these two were absolutely top draws in AEW, as you said. Like they, these guys were two of the, I guess what I'd call the big four in AEW when it first launched: Cody, Omega, Mox, and Jericho. Uh, their first segment came in de- together came in December 13 after Full Gear 2019. Of course, Jericho had beaten Cody in the AEW Championship match, and then Moxley had beaten Omega in the Lights Out match. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of the the pay per view, Jericho went on like a mini feud with Scorpio Sky and had that match with Jungle Boy where he he said if he could last 10 minutes. And Moxley, because his Lights Out match didn't count to his record, he started racking up wins. He destroyed Michael Nakazawa beat Darby Allen in a really incredible, a really good match, really solid match Um, in the main event of Dynamite. He beat Joey Janela again. And right before this segment, he completely murked Alex Reynolds. Uh, and Jericho kind of approaches him in the ring uh, and asks him to join the inner circle. It's an interesting turn of events here. I guess, firstly, the first thing I'll ask you is, what did you think about the idea of John Moxley joining the inner circle? Did you think it was something that might happen? No, it never looked like it was ever going to be a real nope. fit. Especially, I can't imagine him coming down looking <laughs> looking like Jericho with the shades and the sparkly coats. It just wouldn't be him. However, <laughs> because, because it's AEW, I had that little bit of, you know, a little bit of doubt. That little bit, hmm. Especially when they actually went with the angle initially and he was like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm all in. I want to dominate. This, this, I was like, oh, may, maybe I'm wrong. And this is, this is lingering a little bit. Oh. I, I loved in this segment. Um, this is a segment that everyone talks about. Of course, there's a lot of memorable moments in this angle, but this segment in particular, I, there was some details in it that I loved. And Jericho and Moxley are guys who do take care with their character, with the details of their character. And I love how Jericho, like up to this point, literally everyone else he'd been in the ring with, he just runs them down. Super arrogant. He insults them, tells them they can't stand in the ring with him. He he just has no respect for them but when he gets in the ring with moxley he's suddenly like on the edge of his seat he's like it's like he's a he's a a zookeeper and there's a wild lion he's like putting his hands up he's putting his hands up you know palms up to sort of be like look i'm I'm, i don't want any smoke here i don't want to fight you he's 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 like he's trying to calm him down and he references their history in a in wwe we mentioned like he treats Moxley in a way that's completely different to the way he's treated every single other wrestler in in AEW to this point. Uh, and and even just the fact that instead of, you know, running him down and, and wanting to fight him, he tries to sidestep him in some ways by asking him to join the inner circle. I, I love that detail in, in like the character and, and the reason that all of this is happening. Look, I think it, it makes a lot of sense from Jericho's point of view, you know, Outside of kayfabe, he knows he's probably going to be losing to Moxie at this point. So it's it's very smart thing to like, mm. listen, if I'm going to get beaten by this guy, I can't make myself look like I'm getting beaten by a joke. I'm going to have to make this guy look a big deal. So, you know, I still look a bit strong in the feet. So Jericho's a smart guy. But this segment as a whole was just the flashbacks to their old, their mm. old WWE ways, the talk of Jericho, the leaning on real life. And it was it was properly really gritty, really realistic. And oh, I, I lapped it up. Yeah, that one segment, it's worth people going back and looking because it's not something that ever gets talked about, but it, it's just the details in it are so nice. And, of course, uh, a month later, after Mox had continued to rack up wins, uh, both of them had returned as winners from Wrestle Kingdom as well. Uh, Mox 
would give his answer, um, which, of course, as he said, was a resounding no. Um, but he did it by way of champagne bottle to the head, but only after tricking Jericho into giving him the keys to a $750,000 car. He promised to him if he'd said yes. Um, and this was a really fun segment. Like, this is classic Jericho, this segment, and and classic wrestling as well. But Jericho loves these sorts of bait-and-switch sorts of things that, that he can do. Um, you know, the most famous, of course, being the, the Festival of Friendship back in 2017 with Kevin Owens. Um, but two lines that uh, I, I loved in this segment that really, I think, spoke to, to Moxley's character um, when he said, I didn't join AEW because someone backed up a truckload of cash to my cash to my doorstep. I came to AEW to dominate, to run roughshod over professional wrestling. And then he when he says, I would never join the inner circle. You have nothing that I want except for that <laughs> and motions towards the championship. And at that moment, you're like, it's on. It's on, baby. The championship oh. run is on. <laughs> this is the little things that AEW just don't do enough of. I'm not saying they should go full WWE and go into really ridiculous angles every week, you know, for the sake of it. But a little bit of this kind of wrestling pageantry and pantomime is just, I think, a little bit more would, would go a long way. And this was perfect. Jericho was great at selling this up, celebrating that the Mox is joining us. And then Mox is to, there's delivery of Mox, by the way. It was just fantastic. He delivers a so deadpan. He's like, you know, I was just kidding. Yeah, yeah. And of course, like, it's so fitting of his character. As we spoke about, it's like so perfect for Jericho's character to want to sidestep him because he, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be in the ring with John Moxley because he knows he'll get beat. Um, But it's also so perfect for John Moxley's character to be like, oh, of course I never wanted to join the <laughs> circle, Chris, like look at us. And as you said, like the idea of him coming down in like the Jericho sparkly jacket is just comical in the, the absolute utmost. So, um, yeah. Rewatching this segment for, for this podcast, uh, I just like completely fell in love with this era of AEW all over again. You know, just the way these two characters just knew exactly how they needed to interact to, to get the points across in the segment that they needed to and they talk about it as if like there's there's no production there's no one out here telling them what to do it's just read these two guys and tony coming up with the ideas yep. and tony obviously trusts them he obviously has a lot yep. of trust go out there do what you do best and listen you did the results are there for everyone to see it was fantastic yeah yep. and and mox of course incredibly relatable what does he want he's a he is a guy who is like a blue collar worker doesn't doesn't necessarily want to have you know the glitz and glamour that jericho has but he wants the recognition of being the best he wants the title and he also he he recognizes the idea the the greatness of having a, a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar super loud car as well um, oh, don't forget he missed out on ownership of 49 percent of the inner circle llc that's a big big you know big cheese to sort of walk away from yeah but look with with owning a company comes all sorts of complications you know, he'd then have to deal with HR, you know, when Sammy, Sammy Guevara starts winning TNT titles, wants a pay rise. When, you know, Chris Jericho is just seeing this now. He's got Santana Ortiz. He's got HR problems. He's got to deal with that as, like, the director. John Moxley doesn't want to bother with that. He just wants to fight. He wants to drive a fast car. He wants to drink some whiskey at that point. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's Hopefully a simple man. He doesn't need those, doesn't need those complications. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course... You know, this was the next steps of this this um, journey towards this match were absolutely fantastic. And sort of alongside the Cody feud, it, it set a template for how AEW would book these big singles matches 
going forward. Um, you know, Mox would go on, he would beat Sammy Guevara and then he'd beat Park to cement his position as the number one contender. Then he'd beat Santana and then Ortiz. And, you know, just as a random side quest, would team up with Kazuchiro Okada in New Japan and face off against Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> but, of course, the, the notable thing was Jericho would injure Moxley's eye after the Guevara match with one of the spikes from his jacket. And Moxley would wrestle the rest of these matches with an eye patch over his right eye for, for most of the time, <laughs> apart from the times it flipped around a little bit. They, they sort of worked <laughs> it out as they went with that. But this was such a great way to build up the rivalry between Jericho and Moxley without those two having to fight. Even in a t- They didn't even fight in a tag match. This was, as I said, this was like the template for how AEW would book these big singles matches going forward. It was very smart to keep them apart. Like, if you want to see these two kill each other in pay-per-view, you keep them separate. You know, and you did a very well, great job of keeping them together, yet keeping them apart at the very same time. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and you know, there was, like, just enough retribution from Moxley in that final segment where they had the weigh-in uh, that, you know, he got a little bit of blood beforehand, but, you know, the majority of the time it was Moxley showing why he's the better man because he's winning these matches. But at the same time, afterwards, you'd have them taking out taking out Moxley again, you know, and he gets sort of the eye for an eye against Santana. And it's just – it's a fantastic way to, to build up this big championship match they were going to. Obviously, we don't have time to go into all of the matches, um, but was there any particular highlights from this, this run that you wanted to speak about? Well, for me, it was not only just building each other up, but they finally got the rest of the inner circle kind of really elevated. Like Santana Ortiz were basically just lackeys, cronies for Jericho until this moment. If you never saw them in Impact or on the Indies, you'd be thinking, who are these guys? They're they're jokes, right? But yeah. Mox, he builds them up. He gives them a bit of a bit of character depth and development. You know, your Ortiz is a bit more crazy. Santana with the the, the eye patch thing and his blind dad. It all, all really just give them so much more, you know, juice going forward and it elevated everyone which was the main yeah. goal and perfect stuff. Absolutely. And Santana, of course, um, he, he also got time to promo about, as we said, about his dad. And and, and that became like a mini feud within the, the larger feud, which is just fantastic booking um, by, by TK and, and by these two who've, you know, clearly sat down and put a lot of effort into thinking how we're going to get to this match uh, and make it feel, you know, make the stakes feel huge, uh, but also make it feel really, really super heated at the same time. And, of course, this is going alongside the incredible Cody versus MJF feud. Um, we, we talked about that back, you know, a number of weeks ago now, but with uh, Howard Schilling and, and, you know, this incredible build that they had for that. And then, of course, the drama that you had with the Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Page and everything that was going on in that story. Like, for me, this is still the pinnacle of AEW TV uh, in terms of just getting it right on so many levels. Oh, it was the perfect blend of angles and story progression while actually having Rick. They've changed how TV wrestling is viewed. Wrestling is now just wrestling when it comes to AEW. You can watch an AEW match on a Wednesday night and it holds up with nearly anything that's on pay-per-view. And it's mm. fantastic. Yep, absolutely. And for the longest time, that wasn't necessarily the case. In there was there were there are some great matches. Don't get me wrong, there are some great matches on Raw and SmackDown, but for for the most part sometimes they act as filler whereas in aw you you at least get one match a week that's like 
this is something I want to remember. This is something that we could dig into, uh, which is, you know, a pretty incredible thing to have going on. Uh, let's get into the match that we came here to talk about. Uh, of course, it, it everything, all of this culminated at Revolution. Uh, they had a great video package going into their view. This was, of course, the main event of the pay-per-view. Mox comes in from outside of the arena. Eye patch on, you know, he's pretty much walked off the oh, he's got on an aeroplane in japan after beating minoru suzuki for the iwgp strap this is in my head canon he's flown over and he's just started <laughs> he's got out of the he's got out of <laughs> the airport and he's just started walking and he just gets there on time because he just knows he knows how to make it work <laughs> uh you know the crowd is absolutely into into john moxley coming in and and they've got of course like this or the awesome wristbands flashing uh that they gave to the crowd members at that pay-per-view i'd love them if they brought that back at some point um but then jericho comes in with like an absolutely epic entrance he's got this acapella choir it's led by a person called meredith bell who um did an acapella version of the song on youtube that jericho saw and brought her into along with oh, some really? local theater musical theater people yep yep that's how that happened um she just knew local musical theater people in the area and and she brought them in to be the rest of her choir they sing a cappella through the first verse and chorus before the song hits. Jericho makes an entrance, looks like an absolute superstar. Like a, this is an absolutely epic entrance. Um, where would you rank it in terms of the the big AEW entrances that have happened? Absolutely five stars. It was it yep. felt big. Is it the biggest moment of AEW until this moment? At this point in time, they the production seems big. It's obviously not on WWE standards, but it's very fucking close. It's right there. Yeah. The wristbands, like you say, the stage, the the rampway, and the choir was just ten out of ten. Absolutely. Yeah, this is like one of those not necessarily WrestleMania esque entrances because you know it's not in a big football stadium, but this is like the takeover entrances that they were doing on NXT where they would you know get the they would they would make a big deal of a performer and give them the real featured entrance with like live music and that sort of stuff um the other ones that i can think of just off the top of my head uh cody at double or nothing um the first double or nothing when he had the throne of course uh and then cody at revolution where he had a live band and you've got like the lucha bros at all out in 2021 where they had the um, they came out with the headdresses on and the the rappers and then also i think like for me, Mox and Eddie at Double or Nothing 2021, even though it was just their normal entrance, because of like the return of crowds and all of that, it it just felt like a rock concert. <laughs> it felt like the whole place was exploding and like this almost religious experience. So I, I put this entrance alongside those, but you know this just cements Jericho as an absolute superstar, uh, as an absolute god of wrestling in AEW, uh, and also cemented Judas as like the sing along that it now has become, you know, it kind of picked up that on the, the boat when they were wrestling on the boat in sort of the build up to this, I think it was like in January, in mid January when that happened uh, and the crowd sung along there. And from then on, it's always been sung But this sort of really cemented it as like, yeah, singing along to Judas is part of going to see an AEW, going to see an AEW card. Uh, and, you know, say what you like about Jericho's character these days, but you know, it's, it's something that is a lot, very fun to do by all accounts. Um, but it was interesting seeing him, you know, coming out here, you know, there's no smiling, no preening to the crowd, 
sing his song you know like he doesn't look like he's happy to be there very serious instead of the like the orange and black color scheme that he sort of got when he started feuding with orange cassidy it's black and white looks a lot more intense the contrast between him as top guy at this point and where he sort of is in late even just as early as late 2020 it's it's pretty stark Oh, it's it's night and day. Like, and it's I think they really got out in Jericho. And we probably talk about that at the end here. But the, I wasn't sure who was going to win this match. And obviously, in hindsight, you say, well, probably is best for Jericho because he redeclines really, really quickly, and he's probably at the right spot where he should be now. Maybe even lower at the moment. So they got out of jail with Jericho probably at the right time. Mm, yeah, but yeah, at this point, like I, I was one of the people that was really riding the Jericho wagon. At this point, I've always been a Jericho fan too. But you know, who this isn't? was a, a really great run for him. And yeah, who isn't? How can you not like wrestling and not like? How can you like wrestling and not like Jericho? <laughs> I'm, I'm a huge um, Jericho you know, when, fan. Always, ever, ever since his, his WCW days and WWE debut, I've listen. He's probably my favorite wrestler. Like I'll, I'll be very objective with it, but he is probably the most innovative, you know, reinventive sort of wrestler of all time. Yeah, very creative. Jericho, we've got Jericho-holic Joey on today, so <laughs> I can't talk. Look, mate, are you, we're talking about Moxley here. I cannot talk at all. <laughs> yeah, of course, Um, when, when these two actually get started in the ring, Mox can't wait to get started. He's, like, chomping at the bit to get going, and they immediately start brawling before Mox, like, clotheslines Jericho to the outside and they went over the guardrail, started brawling in the crowd. You've obviously been a wrestling fan a very long time. I got major, like, early sort of attitude era vibes from the start of this match with them, you know, just immediately throwing fists and getting out to the crowd early, like, you know, sort of some of the Stone Cold Steve Austin matches did. What what do you think of that? Well, it felt like a fight. And Jericho yeah. looked like he was out of his comfort zone. He had to try and, you know, combat that. But this feel, the crowd is hot. They wanted to see Mox kick his ass. Mox was kicking his ass. Like, yep. <laughs> it's very simple, very simple, yeah, effective. Yeah, and I love how um the commentators emphasize the ref's discretion as well at this point. You know, like they they are using the odd the odd weapon. You know, nothing serious, particularly given what these two <laughs> have done in LW. But you know, the the commentators emphasize that like this is a main event match. These two are in a really heated feud, so the refs are going to give them leeway because they want to they want to give the crowd a result, and they know that these wrestlers want to get a result as well. So um, I, I really like that. They both get in like really hard shots, very back and forth brawl on the outside. Um, ref Aubrey even gets in Mox's face uh, and reminds Mox that he can't win on the outside. Aubrey just uh, she always knows when to inject herself, and we'll see that later in the match as well. But she's she's a fantastic referee at just timing her her inserts into the match. For me, best ref in the game at the moment. And while out in you know while they're brawling on the outside, Jericho re-injures Mox's eye uh, and then power bombs him onto the ring bell. Got like a small table and there's just the ring bell sitting on it, and Mox just goes back bump onto the ref bell. That pretty gruesome <laughs> didn't look like a comfortable one to take there oh not at all it looked like it really hurt his back big time and to be, to be fair to like to aubrey like who i agree she is she really is one of the best in the game like it's hard for me to at this time at least to try and get out of the wwe mindset of like easy disqualifications and dq finishes you know it, it, i'm conditioned at this stage to probably expect a dq here and i really that's one thing i have to get out of the habit of and thankfully i have now but at the time i was like 
oh no, this is going to be this is going to be a DQ finish. They're going to there's going to be a bit of bit of shenanigans here, and thankfully that wasn't the case. Yeah, I I, I started watching New Japan in in 20, 2017 with the first matches I saw, but really started watching it in twenty eighteen, so the year before uh, AEW kicked off, and and they're a company that that does give the discretion to the referees. So they'll often have you know like table bumps and stuff like that happening in uh, in main events. So I, I was more accustomed to that, but. Obviously, most of the audience is probably more like you, so I like that the refer that the commentators brought it up, and the crowd, as you said, like they're hot. <laughs> they want to see Mox get Jericho. They want to see them beat up him, beat up Jericho. Uh, they they start chanting "stupid idiot" at Jericho at one point, <laughs> <laughs> and and they're just living and dying with Mox, especially like when Jericho starts to cheat. Obviously, they're bending the rules a little bit, and they're allowing them to get their more questionable shots in but when Jericho starts to cheat the crowd immediately you know is right into him even especially when Santana and Ortiz get involved one of the things I love though is you know as we've spoken about like Jericho is a beloved figure he's a legend he's on a super hot run and this is like a really smart crowd as well but they're still going along with the story they're getting behind the the hero in a, in a big way, and I, I love that idea. Well, Mox was always going to be the guy who came from WWE. He's always going to be a hero. You couldn't have this guy coming in as a face. He was always going to be this guy. And at the same time, Jericho was already there, and he's already, you know, he's very good at working the crowd and getting them to hate him. And you know, he's smarmy. He's a bit, he's a bit cheesy. He's a bit, you know, a bit filthy in the wrong kind of sense of the way. And I think it was easy for to get for the crowd to just want Will Mox on yeah. to win here, like. Yeah, and and the crowd getting on the right side, like they're not cheering Jericho because he's a legend. They're booing him. It helps get the story over of the match and helps get the triumph for Moxley over in a much bigger way as well. Oh, it is. And it, it, to be honest with you, like Moxley, he gives us so much energy. He's so full of fire. He's in great shape. He's in great condition at this stage. Mm. He's he he's he's got it going on. Like, and this this match was always going to be a brawl. It was never going to be a technical fest. It was never going to be a high-spot game. Like that part of Jericho career is long gone. This was always mm. going to be a, an upright fight. And to be honest with you, it was as, best, as good as it could be expected. Mm. And and as we said, like they're absolutely brawling. They're going balls to the wall, brawling. There's like top turnbuckle stuff. They're hitting flying clotheslines, just battering each other with strikes. And one of the things I love about Jericho, and I think is worth noting, is that he is like a real chameleon in the ring. A lot gets made, particularly at this point, a lot was getting made about how, you know, he constantly reinvents himself. And I think some of that was potentially a little bit overblown. But like one of the things that doesn't get overstated is how adaptable he is in the ring to the style that that suits his opponent. You know, like he's done lucha stuff with Rey Mysterio. He's done, you know, big WWE stuff with John Cena, like that that style of match. In pay-per-view before this, he had like a real old-school babyface heel match with Cody. And then in this one, he's having like an attitude or a brawl with Moxley. He's really adept at so many different styles. Oh, he's able to adapt. And like especially the Jungle Boy match beforehand. Like I remember that one. It was one of my favorite matches. And it's great. His psychology is always there. He's always thinking. He's always thinking, listen, it's not necessarily about the flashy moves or, you know, like exactly how to get to pop the crowd. It's always about, listen, what's the best thing logically from this match? What's the best thing I should be doing as the bad guy to be able to try and get this crowd to hate me, to get Mox's best babysafe fire when he comes back? He knows what he's doing. 
Mm, absolutely absolutely it's, as we said this is like a really violent brawl you've been watching a lot of moxley's work for maybe not a really violent brawl, but it's a brawl um you've been watching a lot of moxley's work for your podcast that you're you're doing how how would you describe john moxley's offense in the ring it's it's real like he's not going out there it's sloppy it's a bit awkward but at the same time it kind of enhances his work like it doesn't not everything has to be a smooth takedown or an absolutely great counter or you know everything has to be exactly flowing well like he makes it look kind of genuine you feel like this guy's gonna knock your head off this guy's gonna he's gonna grind your face into the turnbuckle till you bleed this you get that sense of this is real to him this is passionate and he is gonna kick your ass and get what he wants yeah, he is best known as a brawler, but I think it goes without saying that he is also adept when it comes to being more technical. And even in this match, like he hits a shotgun drop kick, Jericho like dodges and counters into a lion tamer, but then Mox roll, rolls into a heel hook. He's not just a brawler. He, he isn't known for his technical wrestling, but, you know, he's had matches with Seth Rollins, AJ Styles that are you know, quite cerebral, and I, I think there's there's flashes of that in this match. You know, obviously it's a heated brawl mostly, but there are flashes of that in that in this match. And of course, he he does fight his way back in. Eventually, goes for a paradigm shift, but uh, gets distracted by Santana Ortiz. Ortiz even manages to hit him with the Mad Ball before Jericho hits a Lion Salt, uh, and then Jericho gets Mox's blood and like just rubs it down his face and on his chest. It's just so basic. Like, it's such a basic thing to do if there's blood involved, but it's just such a beautiful visual. <laughs> oh, it's a fantastic visual. Like, it, it isn't, blood isn't the be-all and end-all, but it can enhance things a little bit. And then definitely when it's used right in the hands of a master like Jericho, he knows what to do with it. And the one you talked there earlier about, uh, obviously, Mockley's, you know, technical skills. Did you see the, the road to uh, revolution where he's he's training with Randy Couture about how to counter Jericho's offense yep. and how he's going to get out of the long time? I thought that was just so simple and it's sensible and it's logical and they should do more of this every single time. Absolutely. As you said, it adds that authenticity that you mentioned, those <laughs> training montages and stuff. Um, they just help you continue to get invested in the in the characters like it's like the rocky stuff you know it's like you're watching a rocky movie and and but it's moxley and he's training with one of the best guys that he knows because he's got to be this big bad dude it's basic it's basic writing it's, it's it's the kind of stuff that they do in action movies all the time um like a training montage but you know it's not something you see all the time in wrestling and when they do it it, it works really well and then it pays off in the match it's it's full circle stuff and eventually, you know, we're talking about countering the lion tamer. Eventually, Mox gets <laughs> gets a walls of Jericho on Jericho. Um, they kind of exchange a number of counters of one another's signatures moves um, before Jake Hager runs down and gives another distraction when Jericho hits the code breaker. I mentioned that attitude era thing before and like all these run-ins, the brawling in the crowd. I get massive attitude era vibes from this. And even more when Jericho starts like confronting Aubrey and like pushing her around a bit. And you know, like the crowd does not like that. But like, yeah, little things like this, like they're not overdone in AW. It's very rare that we get interference heavy matches. And when it does happen, I think it's okay. Like this is, it's pro wrestling. This is what we were raised on. So I'm okay with this. And especially like, you know, Jake Hager and to get him out of the ring. I'm happy with it. <laughs> yeah. And the crowd love it when, she throws them out <laughs> and, and they love it even more when, when Moxley like fires up, 
we haven't we haven't focused a lot on Moxley's fire in this match. We, we've talked about like the brawling and Jericho's adaptability and, and sort of how they go into a more technical aspect, but throughout this whole program, it's all Moxley just continuing to fight through adversity. They take away his eye, but he's he's wearing an eye patch. He's taking damage left, right, and center. He's got people running in from all all different angles. Jericho's pulling out every dirty trick he knows in the book, but Moxley just keeps like firing up, comes back, and I love how as the matches go on, Moxley's strikes like get harder and harder, and he throws himself more and more into everything that he does, and it just shows how he is just pushing and pushing. It's so obvious from his body language how he is just giving his all into it, and and they can't help but get behind it, particularly when they've done such a good job of building Jericho up as just this completely irredeemable, smarmy prick. (laughs) Uh, And Jericho starts to gouge Moxley's good eye. The crowd knows that Moxley would beat Jericho in a fair fight, but Jericho's not giving him that fair fight. So they love it when he just continues to fight forward. And the finishing, the finishing segment of the match happens. Jericho goes for a Judas effect. And after Moxley is like played possum a little bit with being potentially blinded, he suddenly starts dodging the Judas effect perfectly. Uh, and then he has the great reveal. He peels off his eye patch to show that his eye is in fact fine now. And he hits his paradigm shift for the win. Um, what did you think of the, the, the ending, the reveal that he'd been playing possum a little bit with his eye and and the actual ending sequence there, Joey? Well, uh, to be honest with you, and this is like, I'm I'm a Moxie fan. I'm a Jericho fan. But I'm trying to figure out from a logical kayfabe point of view, why has he got the eye patch on to begin with if he's not? Like, he's he's kind of made himself half blind to begin with if, you know, we're, we're being logical here. Unless it's one of those eye patches that's going to see through and everything's fine. But, like, I, I'm trying to think what advantage does he get kayfabe boys? from this eye patch being on him the whole match. Like it's a cool little reveal at first, but when I start thinking about it, I'm thinking, oh, this is kinda of a little bit dumb. Oh like it's I, I suppose I can overlook it, I suppose, in the general sense of the match, but I was like, ah, oh, like logically, where does what's the rationale here? I was thinking about this when I was rewatching and when I was thinking about how does this make sense? Because obviously like the reason that they've done it is that it's a great moment to like completely pop the crowd of like, Oh, his eye was fine all the time, but shouldn't they be doing that at the start of the match? Cause he's like really disadvantaged himself for yeah. the majority of the match. <laughs> and, and uh, what if Jericho had one and, you know, he's been faking this eye thing and <laughs> exactly. what, like, what happens then, you know, if this is a real thing, like that's an obviously something that could have happened. Obviously it's been done because it's, it's a great pop in the moment, but yeah, and it was it credit where credit to, due. Oh, yeah, but it, it does start to like fall apart when you think about it logically. <laughs> like and this it, is me full disclosure. This is me nitpicking. I'm very nitpicky, so apologies. <laughs> oh, look, we've said we've said 99 positive things to this one thing. We're saying it's a bit more negative, and you know, like if they'd wanted to get it right, as I said, they could have had it even just at the start of the match because once the bell rings, this this match is going to finish. It's going to go till there's a finish. If he'd peeled it off at that point. The, the crowd would have still popped for it. Maybe not in as big a way, though. So I guess it just comes down to is is this something that should hold up? Can you can you just excuse it because this is going to get a big pop in the moment from the crowd in the arena particularly and also people watching it at home, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily hold up logically? What do, what do you think about that? 
I completely agree. Like, let's be honest here. It is nitpicking. So I can see the pop. Yeah. I can see the, the, the benefits of it. And obviously at the time, yeah. like the crowd went nuts for this. So it, the job done. Yeah, I, I still think like I'm I'm freewheeling here right now. So um, don't hold me to my words. <laughs> uh, but I feel like the best stuff should do both, if that makes oh, sense. Of like, course. The best like, stuff. The absolute best stuff, you shouldn't have to excuse it as just being like, well, we just did this because it gets a good pop. Like it should have a it should have a logical reason within the storytelling behind it. And you know what? Maybe that's why the match falls down a little bit. We spoke at the start how it's less than four stars by Meltzer. It came in 30th. Um, it's in the sevens and cage match. You know, maybe that is uh, a, an area where this match does fall down because I, I think it's a great brawl and it's a fun ending. But, you know, when you think about it and when we're poking holes into it, 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 it does deflate the ending just a little, little bit because of that. I think it suffers from comparison as well. If you look at that card as it is, like you've got the, you've the books Omega and Hangman, you've got a really good Orange Cassidy pack match. You've got MJF, you've got him and Cody tearing the house down, in my opinion. It was always going to be an uphill battle to really compare to those matches because i think they're all probably generally speaking better better matches but that's not to say this one doesn't suck this one's still perfectly fine they're also matches that took the stories and paid them off completely logically the ending of the mjf cody one with cody being over so overcome with rage um because of everything that he's gone through that he does that he misses his chance to pin mjf and then mjf being able to cheat to win or you know the way that Hangman Page's desperation pays off and and the volatility of his rivalry and how that rubs off on the rest of the people in that tag match. Like, that pays off perfectly. And, like, the Orange Cassidy and Pac match, which we covered when this podcast was first starting, the characters in that just play their part so perfectly. So, you know, maybe by comparison this does sort of lose its luster. But in the moment, like, the crowd just buys into this this wrestling trope so well and it, it popped me in the moment and, and popped the crowd in the moment. Uh, so look, you can't argue with it too much as particularly when John Moxley picks up the mic afterwards and just cuts a fantastic promo, putting, putting over the fans of AEW and uh, delivers a, a great line um, that sort of will go on to define his run with the AEW title. Um, he says, I'm not going to hide behind this belt, line them up. I'll knock them down. That very much sets the tone for the kind of champion he wants to be uh, and the kind of champion that he will go on to be. What did you think of the post-match promo, Joey? Oh, he knocked it out of the park. Give, give the people what they want, as they say. Like he's, yep. he's coming off a really big win. It's a big moment for him and for AEW as a whole. And any fans that have been following him to this point. So it's like his, it's his victory, Colin. You can't deny him this. And he, he delivers it well. He knows how to cut a promo. He knows how to speak. He's a great verbal master. Listen, this was the cherry on top of a very decent match. Mm. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, it's such a bittersweet moment now, though. Um, because like for me this pay-per-view it still feels so epic and at the time it felt like these guys were cresting a hill and we've had other moments like this you know like the punk debut and all out in 2021 felt huge double or nothing 21 21 as well because of when the crowds came back just felt like the promotion was on fire but at this point like the promotion did feel like it was it had sort of righted course after after full gear you know the the weeks after full gear maybe didn't hit the way they hoped it would but in january and february it just was on fire and and hitting it out of the park with all the stories they had going on and 
and then this pay, for this pay per view to um, pay off all those matches we spoke about just work so well, and this to be just this fantastic emotional payoff of John Moxley coming to the top of the the top of this wrestling company and promising to deliver it further along in the promised land. Uh, and then of course, three weeks later, they're in an empty arena in Georgia and they've got nothing, no one except for extras watching. Yeah. It's, uh, you look back and you think to yourself, like it was a really, it was a really good pay-per-view. And the one thing that I think that helped this match in particular was had a great build and I didn't know which way it was going to go. Right. I was thinking to myself, well, Jericho, you know, from a from a pure fan point of view, I want this title to be held for a long time. And he's doing a really good job with it. He's knocking it out of the park. On the flip side of that, you've got Mox, who's, who's really in a position to sort of, you know, he's, he's ready for this. He's, he could easily put the title on him. So the decisiveness of not really knowing what way they were going to go, for me, was enhanced the match. And the hot crowd, like, it never, never underestimate how much of a bump a match can get from just a hot crowd. Mm. You know, I think I was talking about recently about how TJP and uh, Josh Alexander, they didn't get five stars from Meltzer because obviously like they had an empty arena match more or less. And it was a great match. But if you put a crowd in there, that's probably what gives it that bump to get the five stars, you know, and this is the, this is the case here. This match was, was a good match. Nothing particularly hugely memorable, but was fine. And the crowd and the build just enhanced us so much. Mm. Moving on to like the sort of the legacy elements because you you did bring up bring up like, like who you thought was going to win. Of course, I I wanted John Moxley to win because he's my man, he's my boy. Um, but at this point, I was like, oh man, Jericho is on the run of his life at the moment. Like he is he is absolutely killing it as this champion and has done since AEW started. Maybe they should keep it on him for a little bit. And you know, like at that point, Cody was just this absolutely on fire face. And I know they'd he made that promise not to go for the championship, but I was like, him and Jericho have still got a score to settle. They haven't actually settled what they did, particularly if Cody beats MJF here. He's right in the box seat to go straight back for that championship against against Jericho, and the crowd will be into it because of how Cody was almost cheated out of it before. Um, so I, I was still in two minds with this. Of course, I loved seeing John Moxley win, but would you? Do you think this was the right time for Jericho to drop the belt? In hindsight, yeah. At the time, yeah. I, I couldn't <laughs> call it. Yeah. I couldn't call it because he's doing such a good job. But at the same time, I was looking, who could Mox realistically face as a babyface going forward? He had MJF, obviously, if he's strong after that. But there wasn't really much else. He ended up against a very, at the time, and this is probably a hot take for some people, but Cody, Brody Lee wasn't ready for that main event spot at the time, in my opinion. He's, he's a great wrestler, and don't get me wrong, he caught fire when he fought Cody. But at this time, he wasn't really, it wasn't a top heel. And I was like, there's not many top heels for this guy to face mm-hmm. initially. So I thought to myself, right, Jericho probably is the more logical option. But obviously things worked out really well for Mox. Because he, I think he had a really great run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and as I said, I was split at the time. With hindsight, obviously, I think Moxley was the better person to have it during the pandemic as well. Um obviously like as you said like he didn't really have anyone to go up against his his first match was against jake hager that would have probably happened regardless but then you know the two people he faces after that brian K- uh brody lee in absolutely incredible match but yeah it was brody lee had just debuted um in the in the promotion so it was certainly a big thing to put him in the main event just after debuting having never been in a main event championship match in on a big 
on a big team in a big promotion before. And then the next one was Brian Cage. You know, neither of these guys are in the promotion at the time. Apparently, Brian Cage was signed, but just hadn't been put to air. Like, if you look at Brody Lee, like, a hot crowd would have read and re wonders for for Brody Lee's, you know, debut, which he didn't get. And that's a sad thing about the pandemic. We probably didn't get the, the same kind of fire for his debut. Mox probably didn't get the, the same luxuries that other champions do. But if anyone else was in that position, the Mox, maybe like AEW just wouldn't be in the place it is now. Yeah, because like compare, I'm just thinking like comparing Moxley and Jericho and the way they interact and not that either of them couldn't have been successful, but one of the big things that Jericho does is he gets the audience participation. You know, he, he gets the catchphrases that he wants them, that he gets them to say, he gets them over. Um, and he, he really thrives with that back and forth with the crowd. Whereas, and, and that's where he's at his strongest. Whereas Moxley can, not that Moxley doesn't do that, but I feel like Moxley is almost best when he's just got two minutes. He's not even necessarily in front of the crowd, but he's got two minutes. He's got a microphone and he's just got a point that he needs to get across. Uh, and, and in the pandemic, like things that were short and sharp were the things that worked and things that were long and drawn out, whether it's matches or promo segments didn't work. Like the Kazichka Okada match, that doesn't work in pandemic wrestling, even if it were, even if it's like the best kind of match to have when you've got a really invested crowd in front of you. Um, and same with like the 10 minute promo segment that doesn't work when you've got a, an empty arena, even if you've just got extras, it doesn't work unless you've got the fans to, to sort of go along with it. Um, but the short and sharp two minute promo segment that John Moxley is just a, an absolute master at that works perfectly. So, you know, even, Obviously, at the time, they didn't know what was going to happen, but it was a stroke of fortune that they they did jump to John Moxley at that point. I think. No, it, it was fantastic. I think if he, like he he knew how to sort of gauge fans' reaction, but no fans there. Keep it short. Keep it sweet. Get out yep. of there. I think again, like he needs someone to feed off. He needs someone to sort of, you know, at least give you the cues that the fans are. And that's what Jericho really, you know, excels at. He knows how to gauge a good fan reaction, whether it's good or bad. He can thrive in that environment and he can use that to his match and he gets reactions. Without them reactions, I don't know if he would do as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, For you, how does this match compare to other AEW championship matches that have uh, that have happened? It's probably on the latter side of things. Like, I, like yep. AEW have really knocked it out of the park. Like, it's it's a it's a high bar. Like, you've got especially recently. Like, you can look you look at the the, the hangman matches with Brian <laughs> Danielson, and you know even the Lance Archer one recently. Even the ones before Jericho, like you know fought Moxie, Jericho's matches with, you know before them with Cody. Like they they were great. Like I I just think they were a little bit step above what we had with Mox here. But that's okay. Not everything has to be a five star classic. You can it, it was mm. perfectly fine. There was no real negatives about it beyond the the hokey eye patch but i think it was fine yeah yeah it's it's funny because this is a milestone event for the company like this is the first time the aw championship has changed hands changed into what i still think is its greatest ever into the hands of its greatest ever champion so far um you know hangman is making quick ground on that and, and kenny omega omega certainly gave it a an incredible shake as well but uh you know this is a milestone landmark event for the company but yeah i think when you put it up against other matches particularly when you look at other pay-per-view matches um you know it really struggles you've got if i look at the the other paper the pay-per-view matches that uh and if we play like you know is it better than or worse than you know next one up to Brody lee definitely not better than that mjf i'd say probably on the similar level to mjf at all out 
definitely not as good as Air versus Eddie at full gear. <laughs> and then you get into the Kenny Omega run and, you know, like it's definitely not better than any of those. So, you know, as much as it pains me to say, <laughs> like it's, uh, it's one of the weaker pay-per-view championship matches, I think. But it still did its job. It, it, again, it got Mox over. It gave him his crowning moment. Like, Jericho, let's be honest here. Like, for all his faults, he was the right guy to have that title going in. And he made it look like a big deal. He was a draw. He's a household name. So is Mox. There's no two better guys you want in your biggest pay-per-view today, to be honest. And mm. they, they didn't undeliver. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. You're a, As you said, you're a big Jericho fan. Um, and this is my last question I've got noted down you're a big jericho fan um jerichoholic joey is <laughs> um, <laughs> uh what uh where do you think what do you think this championship run does for the legacy of chris jericho you know he's a guy who's he done everything you know he was the first ever undisputed champion in in wwe runs with all sorts of companies before he got to wwe including ecw wcw massive run with wwe for years what do you think this championship reign does for does for his legacy it's a huge thing for him in my opinion it's it's the autumn of his career he's clearly he was already winding down in 2016 especially in the the feud he had with ambrose at the time so for him to come in here i wouldn't say it's a full reinvention but to market himself as a top guy in a new promotion and to get over it's huge it it, it, aew would not be where it would be today if it was not for Chris Jericho and a lot of other players. But Jericho can have that in his in a CV to say, yeah, I, I kicked ass here. This is a really big thing for my legacy. And listen, he's undeniable. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. Like, if I'm looking at Jericho's legacy, of course, he's got, like, the phenomenal in-ring talent. Um, he's got the matches. Uh, and also, phenomenal on the mic, he's got that. But if you look at, like, his... And he's got those championship reigns. But I don't think before this you could say he was the guy in a promotion. Even when he was, like, the undisputed champion, I, you know, at that point there was still Austin. There was still The Rock. There was still Triple H. There was still Kurt Angle. Like, he was almost put in that position because they were like, these other people don't need the belt to be a draw, whereas Jericho, we could potentially make someone a little bit more of a draw if we give him that. Whereas – and and – Throughout his run with WWE, he, you know, even when he was a completely well-trusted hand, he was never the man. Uh, and and that was, of course, that was the reason that he ended up leaving because uh, it got to WrestleMania 30, was it 32 or 33, where he faced KO and they demoted him. Uh, and I think he really uh, – and replaced him with Goldberg and Brock Lesnar um, as the – what he was he was originally going to be in the universal championship match against Kevin Owens but they got pushed down to be the US championship and were second on given like you know 12 minutes and Vince said he hated the match and that's um, a huge I feel like that that was something that he took very personally uh and he went about rectifying uh and and wanted to almost prove that I can be the main event guy, like the centerpiece of a promotion. And for me, that's what he proved in this run. Like he was the centerpiece of AEW Dynamite. Him in the inner circle took up so much time. He was the one that was creating all these incredible memes when he first became champion. Of course, he set out this 
he had a great program with Cody and a great match to back it up and then had this great program with Moxley. And in between it, you know, he had had matches with Darby Allen, Scorpio Sky, Jungle Boy um, to sort of elevate those guys' talent. Like this was Chris Jericho thumbing his nose at the people who said that he couldn't be, that he was only like a, an upper middle card veteran. Um and and I think he I think for him this is like something that cements him in the in the total upper echelon like the top ten performers of all time level um, in in America uh, and and gives him like that final centerpiece of his um, you know his package as a wrestler and in terms of a legacy. And I don't think his matches generally are any better than anything he's ever done in WWE. He's had some great matches there, but I agree his run and the way he's been positioned as a performer has been completely different than night and day to the way WWE Mm. did. Especially, like you say, he was never the top guy in 2001, 2002. That was Mm. never going to happen. He was never positioned. He was never even really given the full chance to really excel there the way he was booked. Even in 2008 with his run with Shawn Michaels, he was excellent, but he was always playing second fiddle to Cena and Batista over on the you know the other side of the thing. So yeah. like, he was never the guy, but here he carried the championship. He carried the, the promotion for the best part of six, seven, maybe you could say mm-hmm. even nine months. And he was the guy that got these guys to the dance. He kept them there. Yep. He left them in a good position. He was able to say, you know what? I left this company in a better way mm-hmm. than I found it. He was like the bridge that wwe fans could walk over to get to AEW um in those early days uh not everyone did come over and not everyone liked that chris jericho was that person but yeah i i've got a lot of respect for this and he has quickly slid back down into that because he's very, very good and in this upper middle card role because he's very giving as a performer he's willing to give um and let other people get shine off his name and off his legacy um and and he's done that with so many performers like OC, MJF, like they had basically a year long a year long feud, even longer potentially. Um, you know, and and more recently he's like looked to try and do it with Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky. Um looks like he's doing that with Eddie Kingston now as well. Um, you know, he's he is a very giving performer in that like veteran upper middle card role, but you know, this was this championship reign was something special for him, and and is com- particularly combined with the stuff he did in NJ in New Japan just before and and during this. It's you know real really legacy boosting stuff for him. It's a pity his body is really not holding up, and again, it's not going yeah. to. Let's be honest, he, he's over fifty now. Like he he shouldn't be at the top of the card, and you've got guys like Hangman and Punk. No, Danielson no, yeah. there. He shouldn't be. But at the end of the day, listen, he he is perfectly positioned in the initial run 2019. He's been I yeah. still think he's been perfectly positioned going forward. He's been gradually phased down the card. And that's it's a great place for him to be to get other younger talents over, like OC, like MJF, like Ethan Page, Scorpio Sky. And it's it's listen, it's been really entertaining stuff still. He's not hitting every high note, but you know, I'm still enjoying him week in, week out. Even when he's not hitting home, I can see maybe he's probably not trying to make a hit home. Maybe he's trying to have a little heel tour, especially now with the Eddie Kingston, Santana, Ortiz stuff. I'm thinking maybe this is what he's going for, and it's kind of working. Well, I, I did not like him as a face very much, but that's a that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> we are we are running out of time, Joey. Um, I, I really appreciate the time that we've spent today talking about this. As I said, My this pleasure. is. 
like a milestone event. It was a very exciting time for me as a fan as well. Um, and, and in the history of AEW, I think this is a match that will go down as something that people go back to and do look at. So uh, I really appreciate go, being able to go over go over it with you today. Was there anything, lastly, that you'd like to say before we get out of here? And if not, where can the people find you? No, no, no. Thank you so much, Sam. Everything has been an absolute pleasure coming on. You're a gentleman. You're a scholar. And, you know, if, you know, hopefully people can look out for the Wild Thing podcast in the next few weeks when it comes drops. Fantastic. Definitely check that out when you can. Uh, and to the people listening, you can find me at Sir underscore Samuel on Twitter. Come let me know. As I said at the start of the podcast, if you did enjoy what you've heard today, feel free to like and subscribe. I'd really appreciate it if you could do that. And also review the podcast as well um, on whatever podcast app you use. That goes a long way um, to helping people, more people find this podcast. So I would really appreciate that. And you know what? Why not tell a friend as well if you've enjoyed what you listen to? Bring along a friend next week. Why not? Uh, and until I do see you next week, thank you very much for being on today, Joey. And thank you to the listeners out there for listening. I uh, will see you again next week. Bye. for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.